Welcome to the Collective Impact Forum podcast, here to share resources to support social change makers working on cross-sector collaboration. The Collective Impact Forum is a nonprofit field-building initiative and online community that is co-hosted in partnership by the nonprofit consulting firm FSG and the Aspen Institute Forum for Community Solutions. In this episode, we're doing a deep dive discussion about the backbone within Collective Impact including what roles the backbone plays, who can serve as the backbone, and what are some misperceptions about playing the backbone role. If you've been curious about what does it mean to be the backbone in a collective impact initiative, we hope you listen in. And now, on to the deep dive. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for this discussion. Before we dive in, first, let me introduce our guest today. In today's discussion, we are joined by Executive Director of the Collective Impact Forum, Jennifer Splansky-Jester, and Director of the Collective Impact Forum, Robert Albright. Jen, Robert, so great to be in conversation with you today. Good morning, everyone. Nice to be here. It's morning out here in California where I am. Thanks, Tracy. It's good to be with you and Jen. So today we're diving into the topic of the backbone, one of the key conditions for collective impact. Uh, we got a lot in today, uh, a lot to talk about today, so we're just going to dive right in. So Jen, can you do me a favor and, and just what define the, what is the backbone in collective impact? What, what is it? Why is what it so important? Is it? <laughs> so the backbone is a term that we use to really talk about the the staff, the people that facilitate and guide the collective impact effort forward. And just to be clear, this is one of the initial five conditions of collective impact that was presented in the original framework. And the idea here is that people that are coming together to collaborate are doing so as part of um, many other things on their plate. And I know many of us are, maybe all of us had the experience of being in collaboratives where everyone's super well-intentioned and you come together and you have great meetings and then everyone goes back to their day job and nothing happens between meetings. And so the idea of the backbone is to assure that there's someone getting up every day thinking about guiding the work of the collaborative and having that person really focused on the collaborative work. And it goes beyond just saying there's someone that's uh, kind of making the meetings scheduled and following up. It's a really um, artful role when done well. And so we'll, we'll dive into that in our conversation today. I guess just one more thing I would say is that um, in a study that was published by ORS Impact and Spark Policy Institute back in 2018, uh, the study is called When Collective Impact Has an Impact. And they looked at when collective impact efforts were successful, what were some of the most key elements in contributing to success? And they found that of the five conditions, the backbone, along with the common agenda, were the most consistently cited as the strongest um, contributors to the success of the collective impact initiative. All were important, but the backbone was incredibly important. And so I just mentioned that to underscore the essential element of this piece of the collaborative infrastructure, if you will. And for uh, for listeners interested, uh, we do have that study on our website, and we'll also link to it in the footnotes for this episode. Uh, to lead to build off of that essential role that you discuss, or the essential work of the backbone in collective impact, I know that there are some really important 
and varied roles that the backbone takes on. Could one of you share a little bit more about what those roles are? Sure. I, I'm happy to, to start. And then Jen, you can, you can definitely add to this. And I'll just build on what Jen said. She mentioned that study that talked about that the backbone and the common agenda are often the um, two important, uh, among the most important elements in collective impact. And when you think about the backbone's role, uh, one of their most important roles is to support guiding vision and strategy, which doesn't mean setting vision and strategy. It means that you're working with a group of partners who might have come together in the early stages of forming a collective impact initiative. And there needs to be someone who can facilitate that conversation to bring data into setting an overall goal and uh, a set of strategies that you're going to work on as a, as partners. And that you're centering that goal in equity. And uh, so the backbone can play an important role there around guiding vision and strategy. Another one, which is certainly related, is that you could imagine that if as a collaborative, you set this target that you're aiming for, and maybe you even said, we're going to work in these three big areas, that's not going to be done by just one organization. You really would, would imagine that multiple partners are going to be working on that together. And so this, this second important role of the backbone is to support aligned activities, which basically means that there's going to be different organizations and different individuals doing things, but how can you make sure that they're aligned, that people have visibility into each other's work, that you're adapting over time. And especially in this uh, moment uh, where we're now multiple months into the pandemic, we've seen a lot of backbone leaders help with pivoting how those activities are being aligned. You could imagine setting a plan last January, February of 2020, and that plan not really being relevant right now. So we've seen a lot of the work of backbone leaders are to help partners kind of see what's happening, what's changing, and then adapt. One other one that I'll speak to now, and then I'll, I'll pause for a minute and see if Jen wants to add, there's certainly more than three, but the first three that we often talk about beyond vision and strategy, beyond aligning activities, another really important role is around establishing shared measurement practices. And this is the, the important uh, function or role of managing data collection among partners, supporting data for learning and evaluation of an initiative. This doesn't mean that it's just the technical aspect of gathering data from partners and learning from that data, but it's also more around that culture of learning and keeping an eye on continuous improvement and adapting over time. Jen, would you add to anything of those three before we talk about some of the other, other roles? Um, I love how you talked about some of the adaptations that folks are making um, as we're navigating our way through these times of, of crises. Uh, and I think when it comes to establishing shared measurement practices, um, in some cases, we know that the backbone has become really like a hub of data on a particular topic in the community. Um, and that could be the backbone could be played by a data that that role of the backbone could be played by a data partner. But having that um, element of data in the collaborative is always really important. And in this time of crisis, we know that uh, there are cases where communities are turning to the backbone um, who is holding that data as a really important source of understanding what's happening in the community. Where are there disparities um, that we're seeing present themselves in new ways. In many cases, the backbone 
when they've really centered equity has done a lot of, and in particular racial equity has done a lot of disaggregation of data to understand patterns and trends and who in community is most marginalized. And so I mentioned that now because I think in, in the time of COVID and the challenges that communities are facing, that's often a really valuable data set. And often backbones have been able to do analyses that are really helpful during this time. They should be helpful always, but we know there's a spotlight given the way the pandemic is impacting communities that this can be particularly important right now. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Jen. It definitely relates to some of the other roles and, and functions too beyond the the uh, role of, of data and how you can bring equity to that conversation as a backbone. Um, another important role that we see backbone leaders play is around cultivating community engagement and ownership. And just to build on what you said, Jen, I think that's more, it's always been important, but I think more collaboratives and more backbone leaders are finding that that's an important role for them to play. So that's where you could imagine a, a backbone really seeking to build an inclusive effort that authentically engages and fosters ownership within the community. A couple of years ago, we used to just describe this as quote unquote, building public will, but it really goes beyond just making sure the broader community is aware of and supportive of the goals of a collaborative, but that you're actually pushing for and looking for ways for true co-ownership and development um, and, and adaptation of a common agenda. So I think that's a that's a super important one. It's challenging, as we've talked about in other podcasts. How did how do you do that in a pandemic when you're not able to physically be together to invite new partners in? But we've seen a lot of innovative ways that people are still cultivating engagement and ownership. I'll just briefly speak to two other roles, and then we can uh, Tracy bring you back in to ask other questions. Um, and another role is around advancing policy, and sometimes this may not be something that a backbone leader is doing right away, but you could imagine if as a collaborative, you've identified some aspects of legislative policy or institutional policy that you're trying to change, that that's an important thing for a backbone leader to keep their eye on, because that often is not going to fall in someone's day job who might be around that partnership table. So really, it's not it's about developing the agenda and then bringing partners along to help influence uh, policy change at different levels. And then the last one, and we can come back to this if we have time, is around mobilizing resources, not only resources for that infrastructure of facilitation, of convening, of looking at data, but also how do you, as the backbone, how do you mobilize resources for the important work of your partners? So there's a lot that happens in that category, but you could imagine if a collective impact initiative is successful in addressing its goals, that that should ideally result in more resources and better aligned resources coming into the partner's work. Um, and the backbone can help with some of the direction and orchestration of that as well. That's great. And I appreciate you um, diving into so many of those roles, including the one around community engagement. Would you say that the backbone's role also is to kind of lead the way uh, or serve as a the, kind of a vanguard for keeping equity at the center for the collaboratives? I know not all partners may not have equity fully fused into their strategy. Would the backbone also serve as a role in, in trying to ensure that it is centered in all their work, whether it's with data or with how um, how they how it works with the communities, et cetera? Yes, Tracy, that's really good to underscore. And sometimes when we talk about the backbone, or I would say historically when we've talked about the backbone, we've said the backbone is neutral. 
and the backbone is there to, you know, uh, lift up the vision of the partners. And I think that is largely true that they're lifting up the vision of the partners. Um, but I think the backbone cannot be neutral when it comes to elevating the importance of, um, of equity and how the vision needs to address inequities in the community. And so I would maybe think about the backbone more as like an a honest broker of a process, but importantly, bringing a perspective and reminding people that this has to address structural inequities in our community and how can we think about using this effort to, in this time, reconstruct systems that are more equitable. I know that's a lot of jargon, so I apologize. But what I what I really want to say <laughs> is that these efforts can take shape and move forward without equity at the center and really and not address a lot of the gaps and disparities that communities have. And so having someone who is always bringing that uh, and centering people on the importance of equity is really important. And it shouldn't only be owned by the backbone. It, uh, the idea is that uh, hopefully this is something that is embraced by the entire collaborative. So I understand just from our work at the Collective Impact Forum that the backbones also there's some there's some helpful characteristics or traits that can support the backbones work. Can you can you share a little bit more about what those might be? I can I can dive in. So yeah, so when it comes to the type of traits that successful backbones embody, there are a couple of consistent trends that we've seen across backbones. So one, as I've already mentioned and Robert's mentioned, it's the ability to really be a an honest broker of the process and guiding the collaborative forward. And this often are, comes from folks who are, who are humble and appreciate their role as kind of leading from behind in many cases and elevating the work of partners. That said, it helps to be kind of persuasive, right? Because you're working to bring and a strong facilitator to bring people along into um, some amount of consensus in the direction of the initiative. Also, this is really complex work. And so backbones need to really be able to embrace that complexity and think about being adaptive. We can't just have a plan right up front and expect that we're going to design a plan and implement it and everything will be done five years later. Uh, Collective Impact's about learning and growing and adapting and folks that are relatively comfortable operating in those uh, in ambiguity and adapting as we go. Um, that can be really useful for the collaborative, ensuring that it doesn't just get stuck in the original way that people set out to do the work. And I guess the last thing, this is sort of implicit and cuts across many, is that um, the backbone often is a, and ought to be very collaborative and be a relationship builder. Some folks might call this like a network weaver and be able to connect folks, make connections amongst different pieces of work and really build in the fabric of the partnership. And again, this, that is not something that falls only on the shoulders of the backbone, but I would say that's uh, an important characteristic that the backbone can embody. I can see that role of network weaver or uh, kind of helping build and support all the relationships in the collaborative being really uh, important for this year um, as so many folks are, are dealing with the, the, the multiple crises related to the pandemic, the economic downturn. And uh, supporting the ongoing uprisings to support Black lives. 
Are there any other traits or characteristics related to kind of dealing with the ongoing crisis right now that you think are, are really important for people who are exploring the backbone world to think about? I think probably just to reiterate what Jen has shared, I think those traits definitely can set up a backbone leader to handle uncertainty and adversity and um, needing to adapt and change now more than ever. So I think having the, those traits, I think, does allow you to, to navigate this time. doesn't make it necessarily any easier, but having that kind of system orientation and the um, kind of relationship-based, trust-oriented, humble approach, I think, is serving a lot of backbone leaders well in this moment in time when so much of the communities that we've heard from that are kind of managing through this are, are coming kind of building off of a strong base of trust. And not that the backbone is the only one responsible for strong trust, but it just feels like that's super important right now. I was just talking to a funder in Ohio yesterday and there it's a mid-sized, small to medium-sized community in Ohio. And she was talking about some of the backbone leadership um, in their community and just how important it's been in their response in that community and to COVID. So I just think about re relationships and adaptability and um, that being super important. Good point. Maybe not always adhering to so strictly to one's common agenda, but seeing maybe what your partners no. and communities really need in that moment in order to to best reach that hope that hopeful equitable goal that you're all going for. I know that there are a few different types of uh, organizations that play the backbone. Can you share a little bit more about, you know, who, what kinds of orgs play the backbone? I think before I talk about where the backbone is often housed, it's helpful to think about like, how many staff are we talking about here? Um, some backbones are um, pretty well resourced and might have even multiple full-time employees. I wouldn't say that's common, but, you know, ideally you would imagine one to three people potentially being involved on a backbone team. And those roles could include someone that's more of like an executive director and the overall kind of leader and facilitator of the collaborative. You could imagine like a project manager who really is helping with scheduling um, and, and owning a lot of the work um, in coordination with working groups and working group co-chairs. And then you could imagine someone who might be a data uh, partner or an executive assistant who's really maybe even closer on the um, kind of operations and analysis side. So those are just some types of roles. So then it raises the question, well, where where might those roles sit? Um, and we see different structures. I think one common structure is that you place those roles within an existing nonprofit or existing government or existing funder. Um, and each of those have their own kind of pros and cons. I would say within the existing nonprofit or government domain, which is probably the most common, you could imagine um, that those organizations might have a, a strong understanding of the issue that you're working on. They have, might have existing infrastructure in place if it's properly resourced. But you can run into some challenges by tapping an existing entity like that because they might have this, um, they may not be able to hold some level of neutrality or be an honest broker if it feels like they're kind of uh, trying to take the corner on the market around that issue. And if it's not properly resourced, if you just say, oh, yeah, we'll do that. But then it's like one tenth of somebody's job uh, on top of everything else that they're doing. That's not going to not going to work very well. So those are two structures within the existing category, like existing nonprofit, existing government. 
I mentioned an existing funder could potentially play that role. Um, that's less common in my experience, but sometimes you do see a funder may step up and say, we will provide startup funding and essentially the back office support um, to, to, to be the backbone ourselves. Um, and of course, funders have the ability to bring people to the table and could potentially encourage other funders uh, to be involved, maybe not as the backbone, but you could imagine the kind of convening power being helpful. But of course, the flip side with any of these, the one with the funder is that there may not be um, broad buy-in if the funder is really seen as the one is driving it. And you could imagine this kind of being seen as just an extension of their grant making priorities rather than something that's truly a co-created community-owned process. And then I guess the other structures, and Jan, feel free to jump in on these. Uh, sometimes you do see an entirely new nonprofit that is actually set up uh, to, to play that backbone role. Uh, the benefits there is that they might have more perceived neutrality and are not connected to any existing organization's you know, mission and may not have that same baggage that uh, another organization may have. And they can be really you know, kind of laser focused on the collaborative that they're supporting. But, you know, there's always a hesitation about new initiatives that are competing for limited funding among the other nonprofits that are resource starved. So you have to navigate there, like, how is this going to actually amplify and direct additional resources and not essentially create yet another mouth to feed in the, you know, in the, in the ecosystem. And then the last one that I've seen is the you could potentially share that backbone role. I talked about these different positions. You could imagine the data partner sitting within local government and maybe the kind of executive director type is a um, housed within another organization. We've seen some collaboratives structure it that way. It definitely requires really clear communication around roles and responsibilities, but it could lead to broader buy-in and tapping different forms of expertise. But of course, if you're not clear about what people are owning, you could have lack of accountability and some coordination challenges. I know one question that we get a lot here at the forum are folks who ask us like, can I just make myself the backbone? I have all these great ideas and I really want to get started. Can I just, can I just be it? And I, when someone has that kind of question, what, what do, what do you all usually answer with? Yeah, it's a, it's a good and frequent question for sure. So I think one of the things we would want to mention is that it's tricky if a backbone uh, self-appoints and raises their hand and says, hi, community, I'm the backbone, follow me into this process, because uh, that makes uh, the often shifts the power to really starting uh, with that single organization. And it's really hard to have one organization bring that vision in and um, just sort of expect everyone to uh, feel like they are the right uh, organization or people to play that role. And so certainly someone has to convene a process to start. Uh, someone has to bring folks around the table. And so um, often that is done kind of a snowball effect. You know, a couple folks might have an idea and start uh, speaking to others and others and growing the growing the circle. But sharing the leadership and the vision for the conversation really early on is important to ensure you're building kind of that co-creation and co-ownership um, and co-design of, of the initiative. Uh, so in the early days, I, I would caution against kind of fixing who the backbone is like right away. But of course, there, you know, 
uh, someone's going to be doing the convening and bringing folks together. And what we often see is that once you have a critical mass of uh, sort of enthusiasm and folks around the table, um, there are some processes that communities can use then to think about who might make sense to play the backbone. And we've seen a range of different um, approaches, and I don't think one is better than the other. It's understanding your context as to what would work best. On, on one end of the, I'm, I'm picturing a spectrum, on one end of the spectrum is an RFP process, sort of an open application process. And there might be a selection committee that emerges from that group of folks who have been in conversation. Uh, it might be a steering committee or just like a community organizing committee that says, okay, we're going to organize and run this process of identifying the backbone. And you have a pretty open RFP process with very transparent uh, criteria and expectations and try to run as transparent a process as possible for identifying who might be the backbone. On the other end of the spectrum, I've seen communities where there's just kind of a clear um, convener in that space that there's good consensus really early on as to them being a good fit for playing the backbone role. And so being inclusive in the process of identifying and recognizing that is important, but there's no need to run an open RFP process if there seems to be pretty wide consensus across a, a diverse kind of cross-section of the stakeholders that are engaged as to who makes sense to, to be a backbone. Sometimes this is like nonprofits that play an intermediary or a convening role already. I would say it's less common to be someone that's really experienced in service delivery because it's a different skill set. But many communities have conveners around different topics that um, you know slot into this role really naturally. And then sort of the middle of that proverbial spectrum that I mentioned um, is a, sort of a invite uh, invitation to apply. And then you also could have a committee kind of send out uh, an RFP to a select group of organizations and then see what comes back as to how they would play uh, fill the role. So again, I think context is, well, context is always everything, but in this case, context is everything as to which approach makes sense. I would just want to be em emphatic about the fact that you don't want a very small group of folks identifying who is the backbone. You want that to be representative. You wouldn't want it to be just the funder or just a resident. You would want it to be ideally a mix of folks that are bringing different sets of the experience and perspectives into that selection process. So... I understand that from our work that there has been a few misperceptions about the backbone too and some misunderstandings. Can you share a little bit more about that for our listeners? Yeah, certainly. I think uh, in some cases we've seen the uh, opportunity to be the backbone uh, as a really coveted space. Sometimes we say it's, it's very sexy in some circles to, to try to fill that role. And I want to maybe debunk some misperceptions that exist that might make it feel very like a very coveted role. It's a very important role, but it's also a very hard role. And so I think one of the things that sometimes is a misperception that it's the is that it's the backbone that drives the agenda for the whole group and gets to set the vision for the community on a topic. So that is that couldn't be further from the truth. The backbone is designed to elevate and bring consensus to a vision of across partners in the community. 
And so if you are wanting to set the agenda and drive the vision, that that is really not consistent with collective impact, but also not the role of the backbone. Uh, similarly, I think there's a perception in some cases that the backbone is the one that determines what strategies or solutions are prioritized by the group. And so picking, you know, what is the focus of our work groups? What is the work they're going to take on? What is our policy agenda going to be? Again, that ought to be co-created and co-elevated by the group, not set by the backbone itself. And so I think both of those relate to a misperception around power, that the backbone holds a tremendous amount of power. Whereas I think most backbones would say that they are really facilitating the process and on behalf of others and not and really trying hard not to really wield and hold power. Yeah, and I think just to add to that, Jen, some of the other misperceptions that come to mind for me also relate to the the power dynamics that can be at play. You could imagine if you're not attending to these power dynamics, um, you could you could perpetuate these these uh misperceptions. But another one is that that the backbone receives all the funding. And you could imagine if a backbone is just trying to take the corner on the market, like I was saying before, or they see this as a power play, and it, it is more just driven by seeing some available funding that's out there, then that could play out. But you know, when this is structured properly, going back to my comments earlier around what are the different backbone roles, one of them is to mobilize resources, not just for that kind of behind the scenes infrastructure role, but to really see additional funding come in to support the work of the collaborative, which means you could imagine better aligned philanthropy, or you could imagine new sources of public funding that come into an initiative that aren't just going to go to the backbone. Um, we've seen that. I'm thinking about a collaborative in Detroit that um, has been doing some really interesting work to bring uh, more attention to the public dollars that were already coming into the city as part of COVID response, but having them more directly connected to the work of partners that are working on this collaborative. So that's an example where the backbone is not receiving all the funding, but they are calling attention to and spotting this new funding opportunity, which is now resulting in more sustainable sources of funding for partners. So that's certainly a misperception that you can counter. Jen talked before about the misperception around um, or the challenge of being self-appointed as a backbone. And the last one that I would highlight is this, this misperception that a backbone is basically continuing with business as usual. So if you imagine putting this role within an existing organization, that is um, the inertia could draw you to just say, okay, let's just staff this and resource this just like we do everything else. But but the way that this, the backbone functions being so focused on the health of the collaborative rather than the health of one organization means that you've got to approach this in a different way, a different way around the skill sets required, around how you use your time, around where you're putting your resources. So those are some things I would add. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it's a great it's a great reminder that a lot of the work around the backbone and around collective impact in general is is not supposed to be like just work as usual because it's devoted to the many partners in the room working together on that big goal that oftentimes we means that we have to work differently. Uh, it's a great reminder. 
Uh, so we're going to close out for now, but before we head out, uh, Jen and I really want to just get, give a special shout out and gratitude to our colleague, Robert, who is, this is his last podcast at the forum, at least for now, who knows in the future. Um, but he's moving on to an uh, organization called Praxis. Uh, Robert, I just want to express my deep gratitude that we've been working together for about six years now. And um, you've just been a wonderful team member and just an amazing part of our, of the forum and how we've grown and, and uh, just, just been a, I, I don't even have the words. I'm, I'm so like shook, but it's so excited too. Um, but Robert, thank you so much. Been a real pleasure to work with you. And I'd love to also maybe if you want to tell, explain to listeners a little bit about what you're doing at Praxis next. Thanks, Tracy. And thanks, Jen. I, uh, yeah, I'm so grateful for both of your uh, partnership over all these years. And um, it's bittersweet. I've loved my time at FSG. I've, I've been with the firm uh, spanning really a a vast chunk of my career, even before the joining the Collective Impact Forum, I was with the FSG team on our consulting practice. But just briefly, Praxis is a, they call themselves an entrepreneurship accelerator. So they help people who are starting new ventures, um, connecting them to mentors and capital and uh, coaching around how to grow their ventures. And specifically, their, their focus is around how people can live out their faith as they grow uh, their for-profit or nonprofit venture. So I'll be moving into a director of programs role and really hope to bring a lot of what I've learned and, uh, from you, Tracy, and you, Jen, around how we've, we've tried to build a community of practice and a, and a learning network uh, around collective impact into the work of Praxis. Robert, we wish you the best of luck. And we know that we're just expanding our network um, and hoping to reach new folks and really uh, know how lucky they are to have you and glad to have had a decade to work together. Thanks again. And thanks to all our listeners who've been such an, an inspiration to me and to our team. Um, really uh, gives me a lot of hope and excitement moving into the next year. Oh, well, thank you both. I uh, really appreciate you both being here, Robert. Best of luck. And maybe who knows, we can, we can get you back on the podcast sometime in the future. And uh, otherwise, uh, Jen, Robert, thanks for this great topic on the backbone. I know we just like we just touched on so much because I know the backbone is such a big and important role. Um, so hopefully we'll can, we'll we will get to more depth uh, in the future. But this was a great primer to get started. Uh, so thank you both again. Uh, it was a real pleasure to talk with you. Thanks, thanks Tracy. Tracy. And this closes out this episode of the Collective Impact Forum podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what was discussed, we've included information in the footnotes for this episode. The intro music for this episode was composed by Raphael Crooks, and our outro music is composed by Kevin McLeod. For those who read our newsletter, you already know that our colleague Robert, who you heard in today's episode, recently transitioned to a new role as Director of Programs at Praxis. We're very proud of Robert and really appreciate having him on the forum team these past seven years. This is the last episode with Robert before he joined his new role, but who knows, maybe we can coax him back to share what he's learning at Praxis. And Robert, if you're listening, we miss you, friend, and we hope you're doing well. In other news, registration is open and spots are filling up for our virtual Collective Impact Action Summit that will be held on April 27th through 29th, 2021. The Action Summit is our biggest learning event of the year, with over 25 virtual sessions focusing on topics like narrative change, power dynamics, data, and community engagement. And one big plus for being virtual is that we're recording all the sessions and sharing those recordings with attendees after, 
so you won't have to worry about missing a session. You'll have access to them all. And we're very excited to share about some of our keynotes for this year. For our opening and closing keynotes, we are honored to hear from Reverend Dr. William J. Barber of Repairers of the Breach and Sonia Renee Taylor, who is a poet, an activist, and author of the work, The Body is Not an Apology. We hope you can join us. Visit the events section of collectiveimpactforum.org to learn more about this year's Collective Impact Action Summit. This is Tracy Tippins Gray, Associate Director here at the Collective Impact Forum and your podcast host. I want to say thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to connecting with you more in our next episode. Until next time, we hope you are safe and well.